It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. My guests are Latin Grammy Award winner, Brazilian guitarist, composer, and arranger, Sergio Assad, and Grammy-nominated composer, Clarice Assad. They'll be performing, along with Third Coast Percussion, 12 short works based on archetypes in Artemis Ham Hall at the UNLV Performing Arts Center. This Wednesday, December 13th at 7.30. And for ticket information, go to pac.unlv.edu. That's pac.unlv.edu. And for everything about Sergio, go to AssadBrothers.com. And for Clarice, you go to ClariceAssad.com. And Sergio and Clarice, welcome to the show. Pleasure. Thank you. Okay, Clarice, the first question has got to be to you. What was it like growing up in a musical family? It was um, super amazing because music became like just like learning a language. You know, like you hear words and and make up a language i heard musical notes and made sense of it ah so what did it become in a in a way the same as breathing it became so natural that you don't even think about it at some level it's just part of your own nature i think so i think so my my father and my uncle they played a lot in as a duo like rehearsals in the in the, in the house and then my dad would just play for fun also so it was like work play. There was no distinction between that and music in our family. And just because you didn't mention his name, it's Odair. Is that how you pronounce Sergio's brother's name? Your uncle? Odair. Odair? Odair. Odair. Okay. I should have checked with you beforehand because I, I stepped on well, it. But listen, what are you going to do? I, mean, I think even he is used to Odair. That's the right <laughs> okay. pronunciation in this country, yeah. I'll let you pronounce it from now on because I know I'll, I'll goof it up otherwise. So you two were <laughs> you two were a duo long before you and Clarice got together for performances on tours. I mean, there's all these albums yeah. that you guys produced over a long period of time. Yes, we started very early. Uh, I was about 12, actually, when we... And my brother's younger. He's uh, four years younger. He was about eight when we started, and that's it. We've been uh, playing together for 58 years. Absolutely amazing. Clarice, are you surprised about the fact that you have this lineage and the fact that your uncle and your father have performed? I mean, that's a long time when you think about it. I mean, he looks really young. He looks like he could be an older brother. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, he looks amazing. He's um, He also had me very young, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it was fantastic growing up in a family you know full of full of musicians you know it's not just my father and my uncle is also it comes from my father's father my grandfather who played the mandolin all day long it was a kind of obsessive in a way like the way they loved music so much well how many countries did the two of you identify with because of your backgrounds. I'll start with Sergio because he is a little bit older than you, so he has even more countries that he could associate with. Brazil, obviously, but what other countries do you connect with? I think uh, the decisions about that goes with uh, my musical tendencies. Now, I, um, I used to think of myself as a Brazilian, purely Brazilian, 
but I got contaminated by other countries. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, I I think the first international music I heard when I was a child was tango. Because my, my father was really a fan of Carlos Gardel. And that was a music that I grew up with as well. Uh, when I became a teenager, I got in love with jazz, American jazz. Jazz, for me, was a, a language that, that didn't actually saw us uh, uniquely uh, American because it could actually get that kind of um, communication and bring to Brazil and bring to Brazilian music. So, but I, you know, I had my heroes uh, back then, especially guitar players like Westman, Montgomery, Joe Pass. That's what I mostly heard. And then, you know, when you start writing music, you don't distinguish one from the other. It's just, you know, you stop putting together everything that influenced you through your life. That's what I did. One thing you just said, I don't want to let it go by, was it was pretty profound in a way, but I've never heard that before from a guest. It's always assumed that jazz is very uniquely American, and yet you indicated that it's beyond American, maybe perhaps universal, or at least have roots elsewhere. Can you expound a little bit more on that? Yeah, well, ba basically what the, the, the jazz contributions of the world was the, the cities that you develop in, in, in um, improvising, I think especially improvising, so the music was more free from that point of view. If you compare to Brazilian music, it was happening at the same time that jazz was evolving here. Music was pretty much written down there, although it was traditional music. Mm -hmm. But the elements of jazz were incorporated later into that type of music. But when that was incorporated in Brazilian music, I was already uh, a teenager. So I didn't, I didn't see, uh, for me, it was not a complication to have that added element in Brazilian music at all. So... I started to listen to that type of music and I wouldn't, couldn't distinguish in between improvising real jazz or what was Brazilian music, improvised Brazilian music in the same wave that jazz was. Clarice, what do you see as your background in music? Sergio gave us a little bit of, uh, and we don't have obviously hours and hours which I could spend with the two of you to get all of your background, but I've read a lot about you, but I, I would like you to explain to our audience and then we'll get into what you're bringing to the Performing Arts Center yeah. at UNLV. I think the the difference that I think that I see in how my dad and I um, experienced music is that I, I had all of his background as I was a mm -hmm. child. And then I developed my own taste after that, especially in my teenage years. I got more involved with uh, rock and pop of the time. I would say in the 80s and 90s that um, kind of influenced my way of writing and thinking about music too, you know, uh, maybe more than my dad. So I would say that apart from that, everything else that we share is really common. We love symphonic music. We love chamber music, you know, um, jazz, as he said. But I think the pop and world music and all, all that stuff, that, that's something that I have stronger than he does, mm -hmm. you know. And he has stronger ties to the music of like Shoro, stuff that came before because it was he learned it with uh, with his father. You know that makes sense to me. <laughs> no, I get it. When the two of you are performing on stage, this is interesting because I've never 
thought about this before, but when the two of you are performing on stage, clearly you're fellow professional musicians, but you're also father and daughter. Is there a, is there a interplay that goes on that normally wouldn't go on if it was just professional musicians playing on stage that weren't related to each other? I think so. You know, it's, I think uh, so too. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, I, I think when you have a child, I, I, I probably you have, you know, the tie that you, you get with them, you know, through life. So uh, for me, Clarice will be always uh, the child that uh, I love to play music with, you know. When she was four years old, we were doing this constantly. And uh, it's not different today, except with the pleasure that we experience together and just by playing music, well, is it still there? And we bring that on stage. It's pure pleasure for us. I would think there's also an unspoken trust that goes on when you're on stage. That's true, yeah. In other yeah. words, she has your back and you have her back and yeah. there's not going to be a problem because then you're going to have to talk about it at the dinner table the next the next <laughs> night. And so that never happened. <laughs> Clarice, uh, what do you think? I, well, I, you can, know, I can do my family. mistakes. <laughs> go, go ahead, Sergio, finish your point and Clarice will come. No, I can do my mistakes. You never complain about my wrong words. <laughs> <laughs> What do you There's think? a hierarchy, you know, going on, you know, he will complain about my mistakes, <laughs> but I'm not allowed to complain about his. Well, he's your father. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> no, outstanding. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, of course, I mean, family, uh, we happen to really like each other and we love each other, but we also like each other. We mm. like each other's company, no matter what. And like when we travel together, we get along. I mean, 99% of the time is great. And that says a lot, you know. So Absolutely. Think, yeah. Absolutely. It shows. Yeah, no. I, and the fact, what you just said, where you like each other as well as love each other. A lot of families love each other, but they don't necessarily like each other. They don't necessarily want to get along, especially not when you're touring, which I actually was going to bring up before we talk about your upcoming performance at the Performing Arts Center. You're on tour, so there are the stresses and strains and even though Sergio had you as a child at a very young age, when he had you, as, as you mentioned earlier, you know, there's a difference in traveling between Clarice and Sergio. Uh, Sergio is more seasoned, so he requires a little bit more comfort. Clarice, you're younger, so you don't necessarily have to have as much comfort. Would that be a fair <laughs> assessment of the touring process? I don't know, but... I'll tell you what happens. He goes first class and I go in the back. <laughs> oh, that's so weird. I love it. <laughs> well, he deserves it. Come on. If it wasn't for him, yes, you wouldn't be yes. here. So come on. That makes sense. Okay. So <laughs> you're you're coming to the Performing Arts Center. Did I think the fame would never do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. And he gets the bigger room. I understand. He gets the suite. So, okay. Oh, oh. Always. Yeah, yeah, of course. So you're coming to UNLV Performing Arts Center, Artemis W. Ham Hall, December 13th at 7.30, and you're coming with Third Coast Percussion, which I believe, if I'm incorrect, let me know, Clarice, but you discovered them initially, and then Sergio became aware of them afterwards, or was it a joint discovery? We discovered them at the same time, right? Yeah, we went to, to a concert together here in Chicago, and uh, they are an awesome group. It's a really incredible group, and they can do all kinds of music, in fact. 
four uh, amazing uh, performers. And whose and, decision was it, though, to bring them together with the two of you? So, for example, when they're, they're performing with you at uh, UNLV, who made that decision? Was it a joint decision? The whole idea of this, the first album we made together, it was the Clarice. It was her idea. And um, the idea for the title, the idea for the, the theme, it was all her idea. I just contributed with four, when, you know, I embarked in the idea, I thought it was a great one. And I wrote four of the pieces, she wrote another four, and we presented to them. They loved the idea so much that they were willing to participate as composers as well. So actually they said, can we also write a piece, each one of us? Said, yeah, of course you can. So if I do my math right, four, four, and four, so there's 12 short pieces, right? Yes. Ah. Yes. I'm glad I went to school. That was the important thing. <laughs> it's been good. <laughs> now, who, who gets the final word when you review the four pieces from each participant? I'll use, I'll use uh, Third Coast Percussion as a, as a participant in a singular format, even though there's four of them. But who makes the final decision as to, okay, we're going to use one, two, and three, but can you rewrite four, or we'll use two and do two other ones, or just automatically it's all accepted by everybody? Hmm. That's a very tricky question. I think uh, what happens is that when you write a piece of music, that's it. In this, in this world of, like, I would say, contemporary music, oh, this is my piece. Um, but with us, we, we didn't complain about anybody's piece. We suggested changes in orchestration, instrumentation, things like that, that we kind of came together to figure out how to do, because there are a group of percussionists who play all the instruments you can imagine. And we were like, my dad and I were just like, okay, there's a guitar, I do piano, vocals, and, and bass a little bit. Mm -hmm. I had a lot less to worry about, you know what I mean? So in that sense, we all came together to make it so that it would have a coherent sound. I don't know, He's, he yeah. wants to say I think it's important to say that uh, the theme was the archetypes, the Jung archetypes. So there are 12. Uh, there are many more archetypes, but the, the Jung archetypes are 12. And they are um, specifically, you know, they, okay, I, I can't remember all of the, the 12, but, you know, you have to follow them, like, you know, try to represent those uh, uh, characters in, with music, through music. So the, the ones I did was the explorer, the magician, uh, the orphan, and the innocent. Those were my four. I intended to do more, but it's still another four. The, she did the hero, she did the rebel, she did the jester, and... Uh, caregiver. Caregiver, that's right. So they were laughs with the other, with the other four, and uh, one of... One of one took uh, each one of them took one. You know. Do you know and, the Do you know the four of the Third Coast Percussion? What What their four are titled? Because you have a great oh, yeah. memory, if you can, because that, that's hard to remember twelve different pieces. I remember. I remember. Okay. Uh, the lover, the lover was David, David Skidmore wrote that one, and it all like kind of. It was perfect. The the, the ones that he chose, the ruler was written by Peter Martin, and it was it's very very exciting. Uh, to see what that like visually is really kind of interesting. They use instruments from all over the world. He's using like a fan from China or Hong Kong or something like that. They open and close. It's like unbelievably looking. Uh, we have the creator, 
And that one was written by Sean Connor. That's really super fun also to watch. It's really an audiovisual experience. That's why we like to go on stage to to do that. You, you mentioned know? the you mentioned the visual, Clarice, and, and that's I never thought about that before because generally you're there for the oral, A-U-R-A-L, the oral <laughs> experience. And yet here we have a visual as well. And I assume it complements, it doesn't distract from the sound, right? Oh, no, it's something that you have to experience live. That's why um, I think also we even thought about the order of the program in a way that we would kind of create an arch of excitement and then just keep growing as in how it looks. So nobody gets for one second, hopefully, (laughs) bored with the same thing going on, you know, because we're not like there's nobody out there looking at an audience uh, as you would like look at a performance, like where people are singing. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Yes, exactly. Or interacting in that way that they stand up. No, nobody's a soloist in that way. We are a group. So things need to be happening in an exciting way, especially nowadays that everything is so visual. Are you, and this is to both of you, are you surprised that your music, and I include Third Coast Percussion with this question as well, although you you can answer for just the two of you rather than them because they're not here. Are you surprised that given where generally our culture is, at least in America, that your music prospers? Because we always hear about the dumbing down of America, and and that includes the dumbing down of the culture and the dumbing down within the culture of music. So you mentioned earlier, Clarice, about rock music and other types of music that you experience that Sergio may not. But are you surprised that your music resonates with people in today's world? That, I don't know. What do you think, Papa? I, I'm not surprised. I think what happened is that um, with the decline of the music industry in the sense that, you know, the, the way that we view the, the world before what we're having now, where there were recording companies, you know, and there were... Uh, People operating to get concerts and that kind of thing. This is sort of gone, and uh, the, the recording industry is different now. And of course, they are looking for money. And uh, the music that we practice, and many more people practice in this planet, actually, it doesn't. It's it's not commercial, and uh, that music, but it still exists, and actually, it's it's somehow stronger. It has more. It has more. How it got stronger, I can't really explain. But uh, for instance, if I follow Brazilian music quite closely, and I see, for instance, there is many more music being played by instruments, instrumentalists in Brazil than ever, and they're they're very skilled players. They are very inventive, and uh, they are producing a lot of good music. But you know, this music is no longer represented in the major recording labels. So you don't actually hear about them. The only way for them is to introduce their music through YouTube and uh, those kind of channels. But if you are, you know, someone who really appreciates music, there's a lot out there, a lot happening. Do you think any field of music? Do you think that part of it is because, even though it's not commercial per se, and it's not exposed in the the normal way, uh, when I say normal, normal commercial way? That there's there's something about the what the music says to people, what it speaks to people, and that it has a certain integrity. And I'll I'll ask Clarice that question as well. Is that why 
you can still perform it and it has a receptive audience. Well, the, we will have an audience, for instance, I'm trying to to narrow down a little bit the things here so you, you might understand my perspective. I've been a classical guitar player all my life, and I had a different idea of what a classical guitar was. I thought it was a big, big thing. Uh, so Segovia was the great you know, guitar player of all times and probably had this huge audience. It turned out that it was never true. It was act, always, you know, had a small number of people that followed that trend. And uh, how do we know that nowadays? Because we can see the interest of people concerning that type of musical, concerning the guitar world on uh, general. Uh, it's a limited number, but it exists everywhere. So you can go to China, you'll find, you can go to Japan. You know, uh, uh, um, a classical guitar is going to fill up uh, fill out a, a hall of 500 people, no more than that. That's the average, let's say. So if you can bring 500 people to a concert hall, you're very successful. Interesting. I hadn't thought of it in that way. Yeah, and it, it, it's true. I mean, you don't become rich, but you know, you can make a very decent uh, life. You know, out of being a concert artist, going many places around the globe and playing for 500 people every time. Clarice, what's your take on that, since you're coming from a younger perspective? I think that it's it's so, it changes, like, from where you go. Like, for example, for example, <laughs> uh, I was doing, like, I, I, I had three evenings performing with Third Coast Percussion in Santa Rosa, because I wrote us a concerto for orchestra, Okay. And we had three days of performing and the house was full every night, completely packed. I don't know. It was more than 500 people that the whole could take. So um, yeah. it depends. And it was with Third Coast, but it was in, with an orchestra too. So they have subscriptions. They have people who love to go to the orchestra. I see more younger people going to concerts, especially now. I just came from a festival in Brazil of a really weird sounding music for voice, like all crazy things that I can imagine the voice could do. It's called Voxtopia. And it was really full of young people. And that gives me hope. So I think it's cyclical mm -hmm. as well. It's, it's going to go through another wave of transformation where we're going to reach more young people with this type of music that it's not pushed commercially, but there is it's a niche, right? Mm -hmm. And more people can hear from because they go online or they, it's word of mouth. They're like, oh, this is interesting. Because I think that people like the novelty and sometimes even the shock value of things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then they will go for it with that. If that's my take on it. How, the, how the, do the two of you divide your time between composing and performing? The reason I'm, I'm asking that question is because clearly within the performing realm, there's that touring time. You have, you're traveling. And so you... You factor in traveling. Yes, you can compose, I guess, while you're flying to another venue, but at the same time, it's easier to do it when you're home. So how do you work that out where you divide between composing and performing? Is it easy, challenging? What, and I'll, I'll leave that to the two of you. Do I go first? Sure, Sergio. We defer to you. Okay. At, uh, I started writing music a long time ago, but I was never fully dedicated to writing because, you know, my, my, my career was mostly a, a performer. 
And uh, but sporadically, I would write a piece here, another there, and uh, through the years, accumulated you know a certain amount of pieces that got to be known. But with the pandemic, I was obliged to stay home, and for the first time in my life, I would wake up, and the only thing I had to do was to think about music and write. So I produced quite a lot in two, three years, much more than I produced my whole life, and. Uh, that's uh, it's the real job of, of a composer. You dedicate yourself fully to that. And this is what I think make a difference between Clarice and, 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 and myself. I just had that window so I could really work music. And mostly I write, I write music for my instrument, sometimes in combination with other uh, instruments as well. But you know, mostly it's guitar music. Clarice is what I would call a real composer because she is open for all kinds of things. She is a very good orchestrator and uh, she really studied the craft. So she really knows what she's doing in terms of uh, putting people together to play in a large numbers of people. And then I think the decision, the hard decision between being a performer or a composer is not her own decision. I think life is deciding for her. Like, She's getting so many invitations to write music that uh, she has to, to put herself in the compositions in order to, to continue to be a performer. Otherwise, she's going to be writing 100% of the time. Clarice, how about you? I mean, he, he, he talked about you, so he, you may not have to add anything. <laughs> I know. I got nothing else to say, but I think he's being too humble. He's a phenomenal composer. He's like a role model to me and so many people especially in the guitar world. I mean, there is nobody like my dad. So I just wanted to say that. <laughs> no, I like that. Before I let the two of you go, and I'm delighted that both of you were able to join me. Before I let you go, though, what do you want audiences to take away from your upcoming performance at the Performing Arts Center? And again, it's this Wednesday, December 13th at 7.30 at Arnibus W. Ham Hall. I'll start with uh, Clarice this time. Do you want to start? Okay, sure. Well... The whole premise of this thing is that we are telling stories without telling stories. You know, each archetype appears in so many cultures. And I think that when you hear it, I, I love for people to be able to connect with whatever they're hearing, something that they know. So if they hear a, a piece like what my dad wrote, the magician or the hero that I, that I, that I wrote, they can really connect. I think connection is the word. I hope people can connect to us on stage, to the music that we're playing, to the stories that they can associate with those archetypes. And Sergio? Yeah, I, I think we, we uh, have our own vision of what uh, an archetype would be. You hear the word magician. Magicians can represent something for you, but something else for me. So when you hear a piece of music, you might you know take to your own world your own interpretation of what a magician is. So, and this is right. So you're going to establish a connection that's very personal. Is your your vision of what is going on there on stage? It's something we're giving for them to to reflect about something. So it's like giving food, and they are going to be fed or not. It, it depends on them. You know. Well, I think that's a great way to leave it. My guests have been Latin Grammy Award winner. Brazilian guitarist, composer, and arranger of Sergio Assad and Grammy-nominated composer Clarice Assad. They'll be performing along with Third Coast Percussion, 12 short works based on archetypes in Artemis 
W. Ham Concert Hall, the UNLV Performing Arts Center, this Wednesday, December 13th at 7.30. And for ticket information, go to pac.unlv.edu. That's pac.unlv.edu. And for everything about Sergio, go to assadbrothers.com. And for Clarice, you can go to clariceassad.com. And Sergio, Clarice, thanks for being on the show. Great pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. Hey,